Well, this is the last week, I think, of our series on the end times. And we've been looking at Israel. We've been looking at Bible prophecy, the book of Revelation. And everything's been based on your questions. And, and my hope and my prayer is that this series has challenged you to focus your life, to orient your life around the fact that Jesus is coming soon. We've talked about it. The signs are abundantly clear. We've looked all through this, this series of how the prophecies are being fulfilled and it won't be long. Because end times prophecy is not about what is coming. It's about who is coming. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You guys have asked so Many good questions. I wish that I could get to every one of them, but for the sake of expediency, today I want to go through the most commonly asked questions, the questions that the, that the, the most people ask. And if I don't get to your question, let me just challenge you to dig into the Word of God and see what you discover. Okay? My job is to feed you the bread of life on Sunday morning, but your job is to feed yourself daily on the Word of God. Can I get an Amen. So let this provoke you to go and study these things on your own. And there are so many good Bible teachers out there that teach on end times prophets. John Hagee's been preaching it forever. And people have made fun of him. They've ridiculed him. But the stuff that he was teaching 50 years ago is, is happening right now before our very eyes. And he's saying, I told you so. But probably, probably my favorite end times teacher is Perry Stone. I love Brother Perry Stone. He's got some great teaching. But, but dig into the word yourself and see what you discover. So today's our final questions and answers session. And a lot of what I say today builds on what I've talked about in previous weeks. So I encourage you, if you haven't been here, or maybe even if you have been here, go back and listen to the previous weeks. And I've got a little graphic with some links to our podcast, if you guys have that. You can go to facebook.com slash Generation Goldsboro. Easy, right? YouTube.com slash GC Life slash Live to view our services. Or... Do you get the hit? We made it super easy. Just go to gc.life, and the links to everything is right there on our website. But I encourage you to go back and listen. Our podcast link is on our website. It's got just the sermon. You go right to the message. Um, there's so much material that we've covered. It's really just scratching the surface. But our first question today is this. What is the mark of the beast, and how will we recognize it? I talked a little bit about this last Sunday, but in Hebrew, when you see a word repeated three times, that means that that is the ultimate expression of that thing. That's why when Isaiah, in a vision, saw the Lord, he heard the angels crying, Holy, holy, holy. That's because God is the ultimate expression of holiness. There is none more holy than he. He's not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, 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 right? None compared to him in righteousness and holiness. The apostle John, he saw the same thing in Revelation 4 verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So God is the ultimate holy one. We see that because holy is repeated three times. 
We see this in Revelation with the judgments of God. There are seven seals, there are seven trumpets, and there are seven bowls of wrath. So we see seven, seven, seven. The, the, the tribulation is the ultimate expression of the judgment of God upon the earth. Okay, in Revelation 13, there's a number given to the Antichrist. It's connected to the mark of the beast. Does anybody know that number? Six, 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 six in the Bible is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day, and the Antichrist, his number is six, six, six. That means that he is the ultimate expression of the depravity of humanity. There, he, he is the embodiment of the wickedness of man. He is the nastiest of the nasty, the cruelest of the cruel, the proudest of the proud. And he will require the whole world to take his mark. So what's the mark of the beast? Let's read what the Bible says about it. Revelation 13, 16. It says this. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So it appears that this mark will be placed on every person's right hand, and for those who can't have it placed on their right hand, it'll be placed on their forehead. And nobody will be able to buy or sell anything unless they have this mark. This is a big deal, right? Uh-huh. And this is global. No, I think we learned something about the mark of the beast during COVID. Now, all you conspiracy people, just calm down. Everybody just calm down for just a minute. Just bear with me, okay? We learned something, though, about this during COVID because every nation on earth, regardless of religion, regardless of politics, mandated face masks. Now, I think this is proof that the global climate is right for the Antichrist. Now, just so you know, I'm not anti-mask. I'll prove it, okay? If you put the picture on the screen, I even put a mask on my truck. I'm not anti-mask. Somebody put that on What's Up Goldsboro, and they put just ignorant. They spell it like that, ignorant. Listen, you can wear a mask if you want to, there was a U.S. study that found that wearing a surgical mask reduces your likelihood of getting COVID. And then last month, there was a surge. There's a survey out of Norway that found that wearing a mask increases your likelihood of getting COVID. Bottom line, they don't know. Okay, so above all else, be wise and trust God. But we saw the entire world mandate face masks. In the height of COVID, and this is what COVID showed me. If you can mandate a mask, you can mandate a mark. And in case you're wondering, the face masks are not the mark of the beast. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Listen, people have gone off the deep end over this stuff. People said social security numbers are the mark of the beast. People said barcodes are the mark of the beast. When they started putting chips on credit cards, they said those are the mark of the beast. 
Listen, some of those things might be involved in the technology of the mark of the beast, but at present time, none of those things are the mark of the beast. So just everybody just settle down. Don't go around refusing to pay when the bill comes out to $6.66. Okay? Unless they're trying to print it on your right hand and your forehead, it's okay. All right? Bless your heart. It's all right. You are not accepting the mark of the beast by paying that tab. Okay. <laughs> but, but I do want you to be aware that our world, the world we're currently living in right now, is being prepared for this system to happen. Somebody asked, what if I accidentally take the mark of the beast? You won't. This is not something that happens by accident. This is a willful and deliberate action that you knowingly take. Taking the mark of the beast is an, actually an act of allegiance and worship of Antichrist. Okay? This is a big deal. This is not something you accidentally do. Okay? It's a choice and a decision that you'll be forced to make. You will be forced to say yes or no. Here's another reason why you can't, can't take it by accident. Revelation chapter 14. God will literally send an angel to the entire world to warn them not to take the mark of the beast. Honey, you ain't going to take it by accident. <laughs> Here's the next question. Will Christians still be here when the mark of the beast is enforced to buy and sell? Now, if you listen to last week's message, I believe that this happens after the rapture of the church. Okay? I believe that at this point, we will have said, goodbye, world, goodbye. <laughs> and the reason that I believe that is that it all comes back to Israel. The purpose of Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year tribulation, is the salvation of Israel. And that, I believe, will be the heart of God and the focus of God. It will be redeeming the Jewish people. The angel Gabriel told Daniel, this time is for your people and your holy city. Think about it. The 144,000 are Jewish young men. They are Jewish believers with Holy Ghost chutzpah that go spreading the gospel, right? The two witnesses preach where? In Jerusalem. Then Revelation 12, the woman that Satan persecutes is Israel. When Jesus gives the tribulation warning in Matthew 24, that warning was to Jewish believers fleeing on the Sabbath. So in the end of the tribulation, Jesus is coming back in victory with ten thousands of his saints. So we're going to be coming back with him, church. Amen? All right, next question. Who will the Antichrist be? Not some president you didn't vote for. <laughs> Let's look at what the Bible says. Tribulation begins as Jesus opens the first of the seven seals in Revelation 6. Revelation 6, 1. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So we see a rider on a white horse when Jesus opens the first seal of judgment. Listen, this is not Jesus on the white horse, okay? Why? Because Jesus is over there opening the seven seals. Why, why do people get confused? Because Jesus comes back on a white horse at the end of the book. Y'all with me so far? 
Jesus comes back at the end, coming on the clouds with glory. He's not riding the white horse of the apocalypse. He's riding the royal white horse, okay? Air Horse One, all right? <laughs> that happens later. Revelation 19, 11, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it, uh, sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God. And in the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, that's you and me, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's Jesus. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference between the two horsemen. The first horseman of the apocalypse is not Jesus. It's the false Jesus. It's not the Christ. It's the Antichrist. The prophet Daniel tells us that the tribulation starts when the Antichrist, the prince who is to come, makes a false peace treaty between Israel and many nations. So let's look back at Revelation 6 and verse 2. Behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So let's start talking about that crown. It's the Greek word Stephanos, okay? This is not a royal crown. It's a wreath. It's a type of crown that would be given to athletes or maybe that maybe Caesar would give to a Roman general when he came back from a military campaign. Okay? So Stephanos is, is the crown that the for, that first horseman is wearing. The many crowns that Jesus wears in Revelation 19.11, this crown is definitely a royal crown. It's the Greek word diadem. It signifies royalty. So the Antichrist is not royalty. For all of you who think King Charles is the Antichrist. <laughs> He's not royalty, okay? Do you see that? But he is a political and military leader. Next we see that he has a bow, but there's no mention of arrows. In ancient times, a bow with no arrows was a symbol of peace. So he appears peaceful, and he appears to want peace. But then we're told immediately in this verse what his intentions are. He goes conquering and to conquer. He's most likely going to rise to power out of global war. And even when he makes peace, he only does so so that he can ultimately conquer more. He's a warmonger. There's a reason that he's called the beast. Literally, he is a monster. And the violence that he pours out on the Jewish people and all those who refuse to honor him will be worse than Hitler, worse than Stalin, worse than Pol Pot, and worse than Hamas. He is a monster masquerading as a savior. He's called the man of sin, the lawless one, and the son of perdition. What else does the Bible tell us about him? He's not religious. Isn't that interesting? Daniel eleven thirty seven. 37. Neither 
shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. So he may come from a religious group, but he's not religious besides the fact that he worships himself. The Bible says that he will speak pompous words against the Most High. He will be an eloquent speaker and an arrogant speaker. Remember, he's a false Christ. He will even have a false death and resurrection. We see this in John's vision of the beast rising from the sea in Revelation 13. Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. This is the pivotal event where he and his partner in crime, the false prophet, establish a one world religion where people worship the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 4. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So you see again that he's a man of violence and a man of war, but notice that they begin by worshiping the dragon. Who's the dragon? The Bible tells us directly in Revelation that is the devil. The dragon, the serpent of old, the devil. People are worshiping the devil, and along with it, they're worshiping the Antichrist. And while the Antichrist wages war elsewhere, he will maintain peace in Jerusalem for three and a half years. But at the halfway mark, he will defile the temple. And with the help of the false prophet, he will proclaim himself to be God. Daniel 7.25, he will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and a half time. And y'all didn't think football was in the Bible. <laughs> 42 months, three and a half years, he will dominate and oppress the Jewish people. Revelation 13, 5, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, to those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. This is going to be a terrible time for planet earth. Do I believe the Antichrist is alive today? Yes, I do. With all the prophecies being fulfilled, I truly do believe that this individual is alive right now. And who is the Antichrist? Do you really want to know? I'll give you a good answer. I don't know. And you don't know either. No matter how much you think you do, you don't know. Why? Because the Bible says we can't know until his appointed time. Second Thessalonians 2, 6. And you know what restrains him now so that he will be revealed in his time. One of my favorite Bible verses is Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. There are mysteries and secret things in the end times that we may not know and do not understand, but there are some things that God has revealed 
that we do know. What do we know? We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that in the end, the Son of Man is coming in clouds of glory and that he will defeat the Antichrist. He will put an end to evil and corruption and he will reign forever. What do we know? We know that no matter how bad things get in this world, Jesus is coming back for his church. And he's coming back for those who are ready for his return. I got a short message today because I want to pray for some people this morning. And I just want to talk to you. I want to ask you a question today. Are you ready if Jesus came back today? Listen, the Antichrist is the deception. The Antichrist is the fake, but Jesus is the real deal. The deceiver brings war in the name of peace, but Jesus is the prince of peace. And in him, you can find peace of mind. You can find rest from your labor. You can find the peace that passes understanding. When everybody else around you is losing, your, losing their mind, you can have peace because that's what Jesus does. That's the difference that Jesus makes. He is the prince of peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is not about what you do, what you did, what you've done, or what you can do. It's about what Jesus did for you on the cross. He paid the price for you. Jesus paid an awful price. He paid the penalty for the sins of the world, for your sins and for my sins. He paid the price for us, but he offers us salvation as a gift, a free gift to all who would receive it by faith. So I want to just pray for you for a moment. Will you close your eyes as we pray? Father, I pray. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't put their faith in you. Jesus, if there's somebody here today that they're, they're not trusting their life to you, maybe they, they need you desperately, God, and they, they don't even realize it. God, I pray, Lord, that you would touch their heart in this moment. Lord, that they would know that they have a God in heaven who created them, who knows them, who loves them, who cares for them. And God, that you proved your love for them by sending Jesus to pay the penalty for their sins. God, that they could be free, that they could have hope, that they could have peace of mind, that they could have restoration, that they could be free from the burden and the bondage of sin. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the faith, the boldness this morning, God, to trust their life to you. And I thank you, God, that as they take that step of faith today, Lord, that their life will never be the same. God, I thank you that today is a new beginning for them. Lord, I thank you, God, that the guilt of yesterday is going to be erased. God, that they're going to be given a new future and that their future is bright in Jesus. And God, I thank you, Lord, that they're here today. They're listening right now because you have set up this divine moment because you love them and you want to restore them and bring healing and freedom in their life. And Lord, I thank you. Thank you, God, for your love and your mercy and your goodness. Thank you, Lord. I want to just lead you in a simple prayer and ask you to just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in you. I trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. 
Set me free. Be the Lord of my life. And with your help, I'll live for you. I'll follow you. I'll live in your life and in your peace and in your hope the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. If you made that decision, you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you've made the greatest decision of your lifetime.